Warning, we live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Coming up later in the episode, the real peasants of Toil Town have been hearing some funny ideas. Hey, have you guys heard some of the other peasants talking about how maybe this divine right of kings thing isn't inescapable? What the hell? It's pretty like, I don't know. It's a loony bin talk. Like we could do Thank something you. else? A different world? <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> the world is the world. It's right here. Uh, it's called heaven and you oh, can't create well, it on earth. Of course, yeah. That... It's divine. Just, Just like, like the rights, rights of kings. kings. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. Uh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. I'm your co-host, Sean. And I'm Aaron. <laughs> and that's uh, not awkward. And we're here today with Franz, once again. Hi, I'm Franz. I'm not a co-host. No, you're a guest. Guest, uh, a, that's the word. A welcome guest. A welcome. A prestigious guest. I'm glad I'm not an unwelcome guest, an intruder on the podcast. <laughs> We've got this guest on the show. We didn't want to have them, but whatever. This week we have an intruder on the podcast. <laughs> Someone well, who is uninvited. And well, whatever. You but. did decide to record in my house. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Franz is a founding matriarch of the Brothers <laughs> Against Patriarchy movement. Yeah, okay. what episode is it? 160 something? 161, the Antifa number. The Antifa number. Oh. <laughs> it all connects. There's numerology involved. This show is very intricate, as you all know. <laughs> and this time, Franz is going to teach us all about capitalism because Franz is a capitalism expert. Well, mostly going to teach you about things that aren't capitalism. Right. But you know those things because you're a capitalism expert, yes. right? Typically, people that are experts know very much about everything <laughs> outside of their area of expertise. But the things that just surround it. I feel like capitalism is kind of like transcendent. Like we can't mm. describe capitalism. So we just... You got to know what isn't capitalism. Right. So now that I'm being needlessly confusing... Tell us, what's capitalism? <laughs> what, what are we working with here? What's our working definition? Okay, I'll, I'll throw one out there. Capitalism is defined by a market economy. It's when all social relations are filtered through this market system. Everything that is produced is produced to be sold on the market. Even that production process is produced by buying and selling labor. You know, there's workers, they sell their labor. There's capitalists, they buy the labor, you have commodity production for the purpose of creating exchange value. So goods aren't produced to meet people's needs. They're produced as commodities to be bought and sold. In order for this labor relationship to take place, there has to be private property. The only reason someone would sell their labor power is if they're dispossessed from other means of subsistence. So you have private property held by the capitalist class. With that private property comes the need to further the accumulation of private property. All capitalists exist through the market system in competition with each other. You got to have more capital. You got to employ more people. You got to use the newest technology. 
all in order to, you know, get that low, low cost to compete on the market, get that cash. Yeah, you want to get as much of the value into your mm-hmm. bank account, property holdings. You, you know, you diversify. but Right. But ultimately, it's not just that you want that. It's that the system requires you to do that. Otherwise, you will fail to be a capitalist and then you'll just be a lowly worker. Or you're just a loser capitalist, right. a subsistence capitalist. Yes. <laughs> Well, your business isn't growing and you're just making enough to live on off of your three employees work. Wow. <laughs> Loser. That necessitates a capitalist state in order to protect that private property relationship. So why would we just let some random people own everything? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it was up to us. Non-property owners outnumber right. property owners. So, yeah, they need... Men with guns. Men and women mm-hmm. with guns, let's be right, fair. Right, right. And genderqueer <laughs> people with guns. Absolutely. Not in America, though. And they protect the capitalists. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, both with, you know, the explicit use of violence, but also that implicit yeah, threat yeah, of violence. Absolutely. Um, even, you know, something that's not explicitly seen as violence, but, you know, the possibility that you might starve, you know, you could call that a form of violence. The end result's the same. You're dead. You don't work for a wage. You don't have money, you can't buy food. It's not men with guns, but... Poverty is pretty compelling to experience as far as, like, being motivated to do things. Poverty's rough. Yeah, and if you're like, oh, that's not violence. I mean, like, if someone's dying of thirst and they're sitting right beside you and you don't give them water because it's yours, like, I don't know, maybe you have a legal case. You probably actually don't, but that's pretty violent. So I mean, uh, if you don't want to call it violence, whatever, but the... (laughs) it's. It's pretty harsh. It's not nice. <laughs> That's for sure. At a minimum, it's not nice. But it always existed. It's always been like Capitalism that. has always existed. It's <laughs> the thing you, you always run into people, and sometimes it'll be the same person who makes both arguments that capitalism has both always existed and never actually existed yet. Right. So like this whole idea of like capitalism is permanent, immutable, it's just a definition that applies to whatever was happening in the past, and there's just like this projected assumption that lots of trade used to happen, to like bartering. It's sort of treated as common sense with a lot of people who are like pro-market ideologues. But then also this other paradoxical idea, but sometimes literally from the same person, is that it's not real capitalism yet because you have to pay taxes. Yeah, like it's this. corporatism. So like capitalism is this natural state of things, but we've always failed to actualize it. Right. And because I've kind of defined capitalism primarily through the market as kind of like the base point, but not just any market, like I'm talking about a very specific type of market, like the all-encompassing market economy, because you do hear this argument when people try and define capitalism as a, a market you know, the obvious answer to that is, you know, markets have existed for, you know, thousands of years. Therefore, capitalism has existed for thousands of years. Capitalism has always existed. Right. Yeah. Or if like I do something for you and you do something for me back and that's Mm. kind of an explicit agreement, isn't that capitalism then? It's it's, the exact same thing. (laughs) If it's just markets, if it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. exchanging. Yeah. So the totalizing, the all-encompassing part is important here. Right. And what is being commodified and bought and sold on the market that's unique to capitalism is labor power. You know, previously existing labor regimes, there weren't, you know, a whole bunch of peasants walking around saying, 
I will work for a wage. Right. Like my labor is a commodity, <laughs> like a cup, and I can sell it to you. Right. That's like a concept that's not innate or natural or has always existed. That's it's fairly unique to, right. to the rise of capitalism and, and the ideology that reinforces capitalist relations. Welcome back to Wrongtown Storytime. Today's story is the beginning of capitalism. This is how it all started. The year is way back in time, way back in the day, before they invented money, and everyone's just trading. That's the only way they know how to do things. And uh, one night, a man, a character being played by me, Aaron, is on his farm, in his farmhouse, and there's a knock at the door. Hello, farm sir, farm sir. Good day, good traveler. Good day to you, sir. Tis I, a traveling bartersman, and I've got Ah, some wares. Excellent. Perhaps we can make a barter. It's in my name. I think we'll find something to barter about. (laughs) So I have a lot of sheep meat. Sheep meat. It's going to go bad very soon, so I need to unload this sheep meat. i got to teach you something about bartering. Don't lead with it being about to go bad but that's why i need to barter it so quick i'm just saying wouldn't you rather know absolutely i just i've got a passion for barter so when i see people make mistakes like that i'm like oh i gotta tell them even if it's gonna negatively affect my barter in the end i'm just about the principle all right well just okay i also have some goat meat status unmentioned yeah still i'm worried it might go bad on the road do you have any salt could i trade you for salt no i was gonna ask you for some salt that's what i wanted to trade the meat for i just traded all my salt for these sick snowshoes well those will be good in the winter hell yeah they'll be good in the winter bro i can't wait well fine do you do you have any leather straps oh i saw straps a couple houses back probably go barter for them But, I mean, what's going to make that worth my while? Mm. Can I just get ahead of you on this? Don't trade me anything that will spoil on my travels. Okay, well, I am a farmer, and I grow food and raise animals for food, and food spoils. Do you have a mature donkey? No. All right. Sometimes you barter the day, sometimes the day barters you. Someone should figure out a way around this someday. Yeah. Yeah. A way around this. Just had a vision. Uh-huh. I'm going to call it tokens. So okay. imagine this. Okay. I like the looks of those trousers you got on, let's say. Thank you. They're J.C. Penny. Best tailor in the city, Miss Penny. And since you don't want any meat or milk, I would just give you tokens, and then you can take the tokens, and you can barter them for whatever you need. So tokens, do they spoil? No, that's what's great about tokens. We could make them out of rocks or something. We're going to invent that right now. Time to get in on the ground floor. I'm a bartersman, but so embarrassing. I went to eight years of bartering school, and now we're on the precipice of like this crazy revolution beyond barter. I owe my university so many cows. It's going to take me years to barter myself out of this hole. That's rough. That's rough. That's, I inherited this farm from my father. Well, do you want to do you want to come work on my farm? No. And I'll start giving you tokens. That'll be the beginning of this thing. Uh, I'm thinking your labor is kind of like you can barter that just like you'd barter a cup. And I'll give you tokens for it and then you go out and spread you get the tokens, trade them with other people, convince them. I was really hoping we'd more like partners and like Well, no, it is. It's partners, it's an equal exchange. I make the tokens. You labor. Okay, let's say I took your offer. Where could I spend these tokens? Well, see, that's the thing, is you got to go around and create 
new markets. By working for other people? Well, get them to work for you now that you have tokens. How many hours a week do I need to work for you? Sunrise to sunset, usually, every every day. day. Yeah. And then I need to proselytize and spread the word about the whole token system after after sunset? Well, I know, after harvest season, you can just go. I won't need you anymore, so... Okay, I th- I think this is bullshit, but okay. I did uh, inherit this farm, and you to, didn't. So yeah, you inherited it, so I've got a toil. Great idea. I like. I want the. I, I like the idea, but man, this fucking sucks. Getting those tokens, it's not easy. Well, except for me, because I'm gonna create them. That sucks, but okay. That sucks, but okay, became the cry of a thousand million people as capitalism spread about the world from this moment just depicted seriously wrong story time the end and now you know more about history real history not this fake history trying to push on you so the act of being like oh i'm gonna sell some of my time and energy to someone who has more money than me it's really weird when you look at it directly so when did that start well before i can talk about when it started Maybe we should go back a little bit. Whoa, shit. Let's do it. Back? <laughs> Whoa. That's us being sucked back in time. So you have these things called people. Mm, heard of them. They exist on the planet. Yep. Just happened. Adam and Eve, what are they doing? Definitely not selling their labor time to each oh, other. Oh, definitely not. Typically, the way that anthropologists will categorize pre-state humans you know there these are people existing in like tribal societies hunter-gatherers hunter-gatherers or even you know early like towns you know villages sort of like more permanent places you have production and distribution based on kinship ties you know families extended families we're all working together to make sure we all have enough things totally and and there's some organizational structure it differs you know everywhere in the world People do it differently. Sometimes they're hierarchical, sometimes less hierarchical. There's there's lots of different ways this can exist. Sure. But when you start to move away from that kinship model of production, really what you're talking about is state formation, the formation of these more complex economies. One way that I and a lot of other people like to categorize this transfer away from the kinship model is talking about it in terms of tributary societies or a tributary mode of production. Like in feudal Europe, you think about peasants and lords and whatnot. But I'm not going to be Eurocentric with this analysis. Wait, wait. So tributaries, mm, right. peasants and lords. What's the tributary? Like, what is right. they're tributing their labor to the lords? Yeah. So it looks different in different places. It's typically defined by you know the formation of a ruling class of some sort right. that is going to expropriate some value from the laboring class. Right. And that can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes they're expropriating the products that they're creating, usually agricultural products. So you labor and then you have to give us some percentage of the crops that you produce. They can take tribute as labor directly saying, you know, a certain number of days of the week you have to, you know, labor on my fields rather than laboring on your fields. Right. Or later, this is a little getting a little advanced. But actually taking tribute in money once, you know, monetary systems, rudimentary monetary systems begin to develop. So tributary refers to like giving tribute. Mm-hmm. Not, I, it made me think of um, rivers. rivers yeah. Right. Yeah. And like I being mean, downstream. I mean, it kind of works, right? Like you got the little rivers, they flow into the big river. Yeah. The value 
from each peasant's labor is flowing into the big value of the right. Lord's estate. That's human hierarchy projected onto nature, <laughs> like a right. motherfucker. But, you know, you can have multiple levels of these tributary relationships. Oftentimes you'll have, you know, the big guy on top, you know, the king or the sultan or, you know, whatever this guy is that will have lower level lords. Right, right, right. They have to pay tribute to the mm-hmm. king and then they get all their tributes from the riffraff. From the riffraff, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the riffraff ain't got no tributes. Right, they, they get tributes from cows or something maybe. Yeah, sometimes cows, donkeys, Babies. alpacas. Ooh. Yeah. Right. So this state formation in order to maintain itself, to maintain this tributary economy has to develop these different state apparatuses. So you have typically a military if you're going to enforce it primarily through force or through violence. You can also do it kind of a sneaky way and just establish you know, a mercantile system. You start trading with direct producers. They become reliant on the goods you're trading them with. All of a sudden, you got them. One way I've heard this process described is like once people become less mobile and more mm-hmm. sedentary and we have agriculture going on more than the hunting gathering thing you get this idea of like this is my piece of land and then once you have that it's like builds on itself to like okay I, now i have a whole bunch of land mm-hmm. and these people don't have any land and so i can get them to work on my land and that's how some of these hierarchies can start to form Whereas the types of hierarchies that I think would exist in a society without property would have to be more, they'd have to be smaller, first of all, and there'd be less of a like power basis if they don't like control land. And even then, the way that land ownership worked in these various systems doesn't really look the same way as we think about it now under capitalism, where you know you you own the land and people can't be on it. Like typically, right. the peasants like lived on that land, and all of the peasants' ancestors lived on that land, and their descendants for the foreseeable future like lived on and used that right. land. They kind of came with the land, right? They came with exactly. They came yeah. with the land, uh, but the lord was oftentimes like the way these hierarchies were formed is is the lord had this excess of wealth that could be spent on a military, and so it was that. Providing of protection to the peasants. Like, oh, we'll protect you from this other lord. Right, right, right. Mafia shit. Right. (laughs) It's total mafia shit. And we now return to the real peasants of Toil Town. Yeah, I've always found the divine right of kings absolutely divine, I must say. And I would add to that, also inescapable. It's like, is it possible to get out of here? No. Where else are we going to go? Like who would want to escape it? That's where the problem starts. If you, right. I don't know. There's all these ridiculous ideas I'm hearing floating around about freedoms and rights and equality. What do they think? We're all going to have a standing army? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> no, uh, no. Standing armies are for some, not all. Someone's got to be in the armies. It's basic math. And if everyone has their own standing army, then who is going to pay them tribute to protect them with the standing army? Other people with standing armies? These people don't think. Right. How else are the kings going to have excessive displays of wealth without us peasants toiling for them? Like, we can't all have excessive displays of wealth. Someone's got to toil for it. And what's more, we don't deserve it. We don't have excessive wealth to display because we're peasants. We're lowborn. Exactly. It's just who we are. It's always been this way, and it will always be this way. Well, it should be this way. And just this crazy talk that you hear from certain people about changing any aspect of 
of it. It's just like, no, it's inescapable. Get it through your thick skull. Oh, my God. Get back to toiling. Someone's not toiling enough. You come up with this nonsense. Everyone I know who's gone down that road end up messed up in the head. They're unhappy all the time, constantly Mm -hmm. depressed, anxious. They start shooting mean looks at the lords. The lords get wary of them, and then, you know, it's all downhill from there. Execution. I mean, before that, they're vagabonds, and then what else are you going to do besides execute them? That's a good point. That is a good point. Falling, falling, falling. That's the vagabond's way. Never rising, only falling. Falling, falling, falling. All vagabonds do. Falling, falling, falling. That's vagabonds. Yes. I was taught that rhyme as a young child, were you? Oh, yes. Everyone learns that. Always have and always will. That particular nursery rhyme is inescapable. Stop it, you guys. You're going to put me to sleep. All the positive associations that nursery rhyme has for me. (sighs) It's just wild. So, in conclusion, we all agree these dreamers got to quiet down and get back to helping us toil. Right? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Or worse. I say give them three tries. One, two, three. And then they can choose Vagabond or The Fork. Makes perfect sense. That's it for now. Back to the show. So... For the sake of not being Eurocentric, like I said, and just some anecdotal evidence that what I'm talking about exists in other parts of the world. I have, you know, a smattering of examples Love it. from all over the world, you know, a couple from this continent, a couple from that continent. We're pro-smattering on this show. Sorry. Let's start with Antarctica. And- what are the oh, examples fuck. from that continent? <laughs> you know, that's the one I don't have. <laughs> okay. How about we start about the, with the Ottoman Empire? Sure. How's that one sound? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. So existed for approximately 300 years. 14th century to 17th century. That's the time period we're talking about. So just like I was saying, the big man, you know, it's the Sultan. The Sultan had a strong military apparatus that was his primary method of enforcing the extraction of surplus value in the form of tributes. Right. The Ottoman Empire even developed a very early money system. So, you know, we think about money being kind of a capitalist thing, but money existed for a long time. Right. So once you have a tributary system, you have some lord on top who's accumulating value, you need some way to store that. Yeah. So sometimes that's money. Sometimes it's just, you know, expensive spices or jewelry. Or Salt. Salts. Exactly. All of that shit. Let's move on to China. So the period I'm talking about in China begins a little bit earlier, more like 700 AD. They had a a proto-industrial agricultural system developing. Not quite industrial, but they got tools a little bit more advanced than just a little handheld tool. They had a pretty advanced irrigation system that was created partially through state development that's part of that state apparatus I'm talking about that develops the tributary system. You need these. In addition to the force, you just need this basic kind of infrastructure to allow production to occur. And what is particularly interesting about the Chinese tributary system is the really strong bureaucracy that they developed of a bureaucracy of the gentry class, which is a hereditary position. So the gentry are kind of like feudal lords? Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah, yeah. Right. In India, still in Asia here, everyone knows about the caste system in India, right? Everyone knows about that. These start off as these kinship, like the castes are initially these kinship groups that I was talking about earlier. And over time, these kinship groups develop more into classes where some some of the castes are controlling more land and more resources and employing the others at the lower on the hierarchy. 
most of these castes have their own land that they're using. There's two landless castes. One would be like professional artisans. They typically, although they didn't own land, owned tools. They're producing crafts and other like more expensive goods that then could be sold to right. the you know the You'd lords. Be like the, a blacksmith or like yeah, a furniture builder like or something, woodworker. And so they were pretty well off despite not owning land. Right. And then there is the lowly untouchables who were tenant laborers essentially. So the idea of you live on the land, you pay in tribute in order to be on that land, get protection from your lord, and, and go on. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for that protection. <laughs> Gotta love the Lord's protection. Mm-hmm. The Inca Empire consolidated state formation around the beginning of the 15th century. 1400 gives them about 92 years before they get fucked with to create their own hierarchical state formation. Right. So there is a professional army who was responsible for collecting tribute. That's a fairly common aspect is the king or sultan or whoever has an army, usually conscripted. Usually you can get out of your tribute. How do you get people to pay tribute if you don't right. have an army? But the army that's part of the tribute. So in the Inca Empire, men and women were both expected to pay tribute, but they paid different ways. In the Inca Empire, tribute was paid through labor. So rather than in kind, which would be, you know, it's whatever you're producing, you give a little of that up. They were expected to spend a certain amount of time laboring for the state. So for men that could either look like working on public works, so, you know, building that up that infrastructure, especially transportation infrastructure. Those like, big cool buildings. Oh, yeah. Cool buildings. That's definitely part of it. Triangles. Tall triangles. Pyramids, I think they're called. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just tall triangles. Just want to hear about those wrangles. Tall wrangles. Or they could join the military. <laughs> right. So that was kind of like one of your options. Yeah. Kind of like how people always call cops class traders. It's like if you yeah. want to, you know, get out of working on the public works, you go join the military and then you go make other people work on the public works. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's... Neither of those options sound good to me. Right, but if you're a woman, you can just do some weaving. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) That's mostly what you were expected to do. I want to do some weaving. Well... God, like compared (laughs) to those other things, I'd love to weave. What's the difference between tributes and taxes? There's no promise of representation with tribute, right? It's not representation per se, but it's definitely kind of a promise of protection. I'd say the main difference is taxes are usually in money, whereas a tribute can be in another form. Taxes are like a specific form of tribute. Yeah. They're still kind of like tributes. And then usually we do expect representation in the the modern state system. I'd I'd say taxes are, are more associated with capitalism with these, right. these later economic systems descended from tributes but right not the same thing mm, mm-hmm. there's a lot of those pre-capitalist things that have warmed their way into capitalism in interesting ways because we don't have real capitalism with no taxes business is free to do as they right service the customers so well like they'd love to if they weren't being stopped by that damn state you're a small business person and i want to give my customers the top level service but yet i am Forbidden. As a landlord, I always want to give my tenants free rent, but the government just keeps charging me all Mm -hmm. these property taxes. (laughs) So in Egypt, in about 600 AD, that's when we see, or AD, that's not the PC way to say it anymore, is it? What is the new thing? Is that a PC thing? I don't know. So in about 600, the year of our Lord, there were the Arab and Turkish conquerors 
came into Egypt and formed their like an independent ruling class. So rather than being, you know, we often think of colonialism as this ruling class still has ties to the the mother country. You know, they just they broke off. Right. They weren't paying tribute back to their yeah. homelands. Yeah, exactly. They were just being the new kings over mm-hmm. here. Kind of formed their own ruling class. And by 1400, a majority of the land was owned by the sultan. We had a sultan here and the military lords. The previously like independent peasants, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing, distributing their own surplus within their communities. They become agricultural laborers that are still tied to this specific plot of land that they're historically from, but that land is now owned. Right. And when that land is owned, peasants come with it. Do the peasants come with the land? You know the peasants come with the land. They always come with the land. (laughs) Peasants included. Ethiopia was a Christian state in 100 AD, way back then, 100 CE. There we go. Wait, there's already um, they were Christianizing it 100 years. Like that's like at, 70 at years after 100. Jesus. Died. Yeah, it must they, be pretty close. They to were Bethlehem. right on there, probably. Yeah, that's, that's when they were beginning to be Christianized. I always assumed the spread of Christianity was slower than that. But right. I don't know anything about it. So. It was definitely you know pre-European colonization of Africa. Right, right, right. And it Christianity and organized religion played a really big role in that state formation. It was actually like the basis by which these various ethnic groups were combined into this one national identity that then you know, paid tribute up to the one big guy. I mean, not not the big guy as in God. Right, but, you no, know, like the, the sultan. But like the or big the, guy. The lord. Yeah, whoever he is. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by the implicit hierarchy behind metaphorically paying tribute to those you admire. Hierarchy within language. To give tribute to someone, like, let's all pay tribute to Jack Denny. Everyone's, like, applauding, like, Jack Denny. But, like, metaphorically, what they're doing is handing over tribute, handing it up to the Lord. They're like, he was such a great classic comedian, Jack Denny. I love him so much. I'm going to pay part of my labor to him to live on this land. And he's not even, like, providing a standing army to protect us from the other late, great, dead comedians. (laughs) (laughs) What a (laughs) ripoff. I'm a pay tribute to Jack Denny, the only late great dead comedian whose ghost has a standing army to protect you. Proud sponsor of today's episode of Seriously Wrong. So then, if I may go back to Europe, you think of feudalism, you think of those serfs laboring in the fields, you're thinking of France. Of France? The, France. No, oh, France. It, you the know, country. F-R-A-N-C. Yep, yep. Yeah, not me. I usually think of you when I think <laughs> of serfs laboring in the fields. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> like the classical political feudalism, you know, the most stereotypical. It's really you're looking at France there. There's, you know, the king, consolidated control over that region. Of, but the nobility, the, the lo- more local nobility, maintains the right to collect surplus from the peasantry. So it was a fairly decentralized power in that sense, not decentralized all the way down to the peasants, but Mm, a little bit more than consolidated to the single dude. But did they still pay tribute to up to the dude, right? They did, but not as much as the king wanted. Okay. You know? So they they were holding out a little. Holding out. He was like, there's a bit extra surplus. You guys are keeping too much of that surplus. Some of that's my surplus. What I really want to talk about is England, and this is where it gets spicy. Or not spicy, if you've ever eaten food from England. Maybe that's why England's food is so non-spicy, because of how spicy this event was. Right. They're still still cooling down. Mm -hmm. Still drinking milk after this one. So, 
<laughs> England's feudal system, pretty much like France, till the 14th century. 14th century is when it gets spicy. So there's this transition from peasants having hereditary ties to the land, you know, coming with the land, peasants right. included. Yeah. To all of a sudden, peasants not included. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I assume they're still working on the land, mm -hmm. right? So what's the difference? Right. So rather than, you know, I'm going to work on, you know, my land for this many days a week and work on your land and give you the product of that for this many days a week, it's the peasants have to pay rent to the landlord. Right. So that would be start to be paid in money rather than in kind. And they lose this connection to the land. It's much more precarious connection to the land. If they can't make rent, they're removed from the land. They get right. kicked off the countryside. They're no longer peasant laborers for the Lord. And someone else can pay a higher rent. Right. And, you know, we see beginning in the 14th century, the enclosure of the commons. And that's really what that is. It goes from, you know, you have this Lord that you have to pay tribute to, but ultimately much of the land is still held in common. It's people collaboratively laboring, distributing the surplus based on need or familial ties to really being dispossessed from the land. And when these peasants begin to be dispossessed from the land, they can no longer afford to pay lent. They're leaving in mass from the countryside into cities eventually with industrialization. Right, yeah, so this is coinciding with like, oh, we we figured out factories and right. we can like- But before that yeah. can happen, way before the French Revolution, we get the Glorious Revolution. And it's even called the Glorious Revolution. How can that not be better than the French Revolution? Yeah, it's way more descriptive. No ambiguity about the glory level of this revolution. <laughs> it's glorious. So the high nobility, unlike in France, where it's fairly decentralized, in England, the high nobility was, they're taking too much, you know, taxation mm. without representation of the middle class. The peasants, they don't get a say. They don't matter in this revolution. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, they were doing their own stuff, but they just... This glorious thing wasn't to do with them. No. Yeah. So there's a class alliance between these, these profit-seeking landlords, manufacturers, so early manufacturers. It wasn't quite the booming industrial revolution yet. And commercial merchants, so people that made their money off of buying and selling luxury items, typically across large distances. They kind of formed this class alliance against the high nobility and like laid the groundwork for the creation of the capitalist class. That's but like, but what's the result of this glorious revolution? Politically, not a whole lot. So, you know, there's like the first civil war, the second civil war, the glorious revolution. Kings get beheaded. You have no king for a while. King comes back. Parliament right. exists. Parliament never stops existing. Boy, and at the yeah. end, it's kind of like, did anything really change? <laughs> but lots of things did change. Uh, <laughs> because you see the rise of, of this new class in power, which you can really see happening by what the lower classes are doing. So then these lower classes are, are transitioning from being feudal serfs tied to the land to being dispossessed of their land, moving to cities, becoming the proletariat. This is happening during the Industrial Revolution, but that process really starts to begin, you know, much earlier than that, even prior to the Glorious Revolution. But that's what really consolidates this new ruling class. And with the rise of this new dominant class, you don't see the complete shunning of the previously existing ruling class like you know england still has a monarchy whatever no one cares about them but to some degree the, the nobility is maintained the church is maintained the existing court and parliament system are maintained so you see these holdovers right. from feudalism you you know we still have rent 
that really is kind of a holdover from this late stage of feudalism in England. Or it could be a like a proto-capitalist thing emerging into feudalism. Rent is? I just see rent, I guess, as very essential to capitalism. Right. So I guess thinking of it as a feudalism holdover, I'm like, no, no, it's a capitalist thing that was like right. oh, starting at the end of feudalism. End of feudalism. Yeah, I think, I think you could see it that way. Because rent paid in money is... It's one of the theories about why capitalism developed specifically in England, mm. whereas we had all these tributary systems everywhere else. Right. Was there something particular about England that made these capitalist class relations develop? And part of that is this transition to money rent, right? Like right. bringing peasants into the realm of buying and selling paying rent using money. Yeah, bringing them into the market, making the market more of this totalizing mm, thing. Mm -hmm. It also gives you the benefit of being like, well, technically, you're just in the market like I am. Like, we're right. the same. You just happen to have a lot less than me. <laughs> right, right, right. But we both have rights to buy and sell our labor and our things. And like, we're all just individuals in the market. It's the same. What do you all think about this quote? I'll read it and you tell me what you think. Sure. Force is the midwife of every society pregnant with a new one. It is itself an economic power. Force is yeah. an economic power? Because it's the midwife. Who said this? What do you think of it? I'm not wild about it. Why? It seems to be violent against women. <laughs> well, it's because it's from known misogynist Karl Marx. <laughs> the original brochalist for patriarchy. No, no, no. He's the original brochalist a little bit too neutral on patriarchy. Uh, nuanced. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, no, I like the birth metaphor. The birth metaphor resonates, but he, he didn't emphasize how to Make have a safe, safe birth. Right. Yeah, he seemed to want to have a violent birth. Well, I think the birth of capitalism was a very violent birth. Right. But did he criticize that or he said it was necessary? It was necessary. Uh, yeah. mm. <laughs> Failure of imagination there, Marx. <laughs> Next up on The Real Peasants of Toil Town, those funny ideas have spread into our favorite group. But will they do anything about it? Anything actually change? Find out right now. Hey, fellow peasants. Hey, what's How's up? the morning? Um, you know, just toiling. Yeah. Toiling, yeah. The usual. Same. You know, sometimes I really wish we could get the lords out here toiling. That's hilarious. Lords toiling. Yeah. <laughs> That's devilish. Love I love it. Love to see them toil. You know, they, the lords, they think their power is inescapable, but they could be toiling down here. Yeah, they say that all the time. It's mm -hmm. inescapable. I, I think they're trying to cover up for something, that it's not right. inescapable. Mm -hmm. Huh. You're saying, That's you're my saying theory. that we might be able to get them to actually come down here and, and toil. I think it's possible. Well, I think they're just humans like we are, but they just tricked us. They tricked everyone big time. You know, there's more of us than them. Way more. If we just, you know, organize in a specific way. Holy Absolutely. Shit. Yeah, there's only one Lord, but there's at least like decent amount of peasants. You look around. Yeah, I see, you know, it's Joe over there. Joanne. Joe Jr. Twin Joeys. One lord, lots of peasants. That's how it works. So how are we going to do this? Well, we got forks. It's a starting point. We could add torches to the mix. Forks, torches, I like it. Doesn't that seem a little violent to you? Yeah, we need yeah. violence right now. How are we going to make them work without violence? They got standing armies. All lords are bastards. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking they use force in order to establish their 
economic order, economic and political order. And I was like, what if if we didn't want to be like them? What if we wanted a different... Well, you don't want power? Well, once we get the power, we'll we'll be different from them. Power, you know, but, you know, maybe not power over them. Just, you know, I want to empower all the peasants. Mm. Uh, You know what I think? Crazy. We use violence. We make them toil. Yes. I love it. I say put them to toil first, ask questions later. And then they're the same as us, and we all just live together as non-hierarchical, equal human beings. Ooh, non-hierarchical? Like yeah, right like away? we're the same, we're all just human no, beings. No, too much too soon. No, they're, they're mongrels. They were in charge for so long. We need mm. to permanently invert that relation to undo feudalism. Permanent, how does permanently inverting it undo that relationship? That doesn't make any sense. That's a stupid question. At best, you temporarily invert it, but I don't even think we should do that. No, we should permanently do it, and this is how. Okay, what do you Wait, think? If, temporarily if invert, permanently invert, or no invert? I mean, I just, I don't get it. We're permanently inverting them in order to destroy hierarchy? Make yeah. That? So no, he's saying he doesn't want to destroy hierarchy. No, I'm saying you don't want to destroy hierarchy right away. That makes no sense. You start by inverting the power relations indefinitely. Why? It's a necessary step of history. There's like one path that history takes? Yes. Like, it's inevitable? Mm, yes. It well, I agree happens. with that, but I think it's inevitable that we just skip right to it. I mean, it just sounds like we're never going to take down this lord. Like, can't even agree with each other. How are we supposed to get anything done? Might as well, well if you two would listen to, to me toiling. about my great ideas, What's your great we'd idea? have the lord toil in today. What is, you haven't presented a single what idea. What are you talking about? I'm the only one who has been presenting ideas. You guys are just shooting down my ideas. I say we get That's this guy happens. toiling ASAP. Oh, yeah. Now you're just going to make me toil while you don't toil? Yeah, we have to yeah. make you, you know, toil You know, you haven't changed anything with the lords, well, right? If you don't toil, you'll get in trouble, not me. And they argued and argued and... Uh, no resolution was reached, unfortunately. Not this episode. Uh, maybe next time on Real Peasants of Toiltown. So, of these violent processes leading to capitalism, I, I think there's kind of three things happening primarily. The first one is the enclosure of the commons that I already talked about. Right. You know. Peasants kicked off their land, lose access to the means of subsistence, and the proletarianization of the peasantry, turning them into a workforce of wage laborers. Right. The second is a new dominant ideology that justifies the new economic order. So can you guess what that's called? The ideology The new of dominant capital. ideology? Uh, freedom? We're talking about liberalism. Oh, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's like that individuals are all the same. Like, yeah, we both have equal legal mm-hmm. rights in this market system, except right. I happen to own all this land and you happen right. to not. So we're equals. Given equal rights, yeah, equal force rights. wins out. What do you think about that quote? Wait, given equal rights, force wins out? Yeah. If two people have equal rights, the person has more access to violence and force. I mean, it doesn't always come down to force. A lot of the time it comes down to, I mean, especially in the modern day, like if you have access to better lawyers Mm. or if you have access. Argumentation. Yeah. Yeah. Ideas. Ideas. Are ideas not violence? Almost never. They can be. It's a different type of violence. Ideas can be used to reinforce violence. Like to, to normalize it and sure. allow oh, it to yeah. continue happening. Absolutely. Justify it. Justify it. Yeah. But it's not in itself violent. No, but so you said when you have equal rights, force wins out. That's a rough approximation of a Marx quote. I think, I think if you <laughs> define force very broadly to mean like the force of having a lot of lawyers. I mean, the way that capitalism really took form and maintained itself initially was through this more overt forms of violence. And it's the same way that these tributary economies established themselves as well 
but obviously that's not really the case anymore. Most people aren't like forced to go to work at gunpoint. The forms of coercion that cause us to participate in this capitalist system are a lot more covert than that. Yeah, it's subtle or there's like layers of remove and plausible deniability. It's just like, it's not me making you starve. It's it's, it's just nature. the way things are, which yeah. is ideology. Right. There we go. <laughs> it seems like Marx is talking about a fictional scenario, though, when you talk about having equal rights and mm. then force winning out. It's like he's talking about having equal rights to the same thing or like... It's a critique of this liberal idea that equal legal rights is sufficient for right. like equality in a meaningful sense. Like you can have a right to buy food. But if you don't have the money to buy the right, food, right, like yeah. that's not a right to food. So it's yeah. about. But I feel like yeah, if you want to make that having point, a technical right without like the guarantee for actually obtaining it. Yeah, there's ways to like get at that point that don't have to reduce everything to force, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, the third process of the creation of capitalism is the most anti-brocialist of the three. Ooh. Um, they're all pretty anti-brocialist, but this one is about the reconstruction of patriarchy. So what I mean by that is it wasn't all like good and jolly and patriarchy didn't exist before capitalism. It wasn't good. It was different. And a lot of accounts have women playing a much more active role within the community under feudalism and whatnot, as opposed to, you know, under capitalism with the rise of the wage laborer, women are systemically barred from wage labor right. and are instead relegated to doing household labor. And that is one of the ways that capitalism was able to occur. Like capitalism required this unpaid labor force essentially to like subsidize the wage labor that is being bought by the capitalists in order for it to function, in order for that wage labor to be cheap enough for capitalism and that capitalist relationship of production to flourish. Specifically, removing women from the public sphere, like that, not that that didn't necessarily exist to some extent before, but really saying like the women's place is the household and this requirement to do that reproductive labor and be not only like subservient to, but economically reliant on like her husband or father or the primary man in her life for that wage it makes sense too that if we're moving into this system where market relations become more totalizing and everything in public life is beginning to be understood in terms of market relations then excluding women from wage labor excludes them from public life as it's mm -hmm. all market-based yeah you need like a strong ideological reason to like if you're pushing forward this narrative of like freedom and economic liberalism that in order to sustain a system where there's all this unpaid work being done you need to have like an extra real push on the ideology to justify that mm -hmm. difference because like being paid for housework still seems like an outlandish idea right. under neoliberalism where that should be the most common sense logic ever and you also see like played you know women peasants they'd be out you know, tilling the common lands. Oh, right. It's harvest yeah. time. They harvest help time. Out. Everyone helps out. Um, right. But then you also see... See you at the common land, <laughs> See you at the commons. <laughs> um, Are we going to till that land? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these other roles that women played, like as midwives, for example, that was something that like women, you know, stopping being able to, able to do. Women played, you know, roles as, as healers who over generations developed knowledge of different plants and substances that would treat different ailments. I mean, you know, as much as anyone knew about medicine back then. But, right. you know, but yeah. they were... Inferring from repetition right. and... Yeah. Right. But then that gets labeled as as witchcraft and, you know, becomes 
illegal a lot for a lot of witchcraft i didn't right. i didn't yeah, know yeah, that yeah. it kind of came like that like there's a huge connection between the enclosure of the commons and the rise of like witch trials and like the accusations of, of women being witches and execution of them sylvia federici read it is that an author yeah. who talks about this yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. yeah she's great yeah caliban and the witch is her primary work where she it's a whole book about like the enclosure of the commons and like the role that women played during that so if the question is like what does the reconstruction of patriarchy look like i would say read that, read that book. book right um it's a much more detailed account than i could go into right now using lots of like historical evidence and all of that good stuff and you also see the criminalization of early forms of birth control and abortion. These mm. were things that like women were like learning and figuring out how to do, figuring out how to not be involuntarily pregnant. Right, which ties you down to right, the, which <laughs> makes you economically more dependent. dependent. Yeah, yeah, but that gets as well tied to witchcraft, especially as the necessary labor force is tied to the rising population, right. trying to you know inhibit the increasing population is inhibiting the growth of capitalism is, is a punishable offense. Godhead doesn't like that, the capitalism godhead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there was the enclosure of the commons, which came with it, this the you know creation of capitalist private property, the hegemonic transition of, of ideologies into this economic liberalism, and then the reconstruction of patriarchy. So... In England, there's this kind of transition through these three processes from like late feudalism into capitalism. Mm -hmm. And the first of those that I've heard it referred to as primitive accumulation. You said that when we were off mic, it's a Marx term. Yeah. So primitive accumulation is really, I think, a, a mistranslation. It would be more accurately called primary accumulation. So like really the first form of accumulation that allowed capitalism to happen. It was that consolidation of land and property and wealth into the hands of the capitalist class, and that's what made them the capitalist class. Like, we own this land mm -hmm. now. It's been accumulated under my this, this relationship we have to land now mm -hmm. called ownership, and it's mine, and you can live here if you pay me rent. Right. And, like, the classical economic view of, of how capitalism came to be really sees this consolidation of class property being somewhat natural, being through like the skill and smarts of the capitalist class that were able to make good business decisions right. and just be wealthier and then, you know, take advantage of that wealth. But actually looking historically at the events that led up to capitalism, it was a very violent period of time in history. It was forcing peasants off their land. They didn't willingly say like, yeah, we want to be, you know, we want the means of subsistence taken away from us. We'd love to spend eight, you know, 12 hours a day working in your factory for very little pay just to survive. Totally makes sense that this land that my family's lived on for generations actually belongs to you. How silly of us. <laughs> And it totally makes sense that women can't be part of the public sphere and have to do reproductive labor in the household right. and, and can't have any say over when they do or do not get pregnant. And, you their, know, all these things are, are natural. Or and, have smaller muscles. Right. So this just follows from that. No, I actually, I read a thing on the internet. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I don't remember the source, <laughs> but I was talking about feudal women's like biceps being right. like stronger than like the average modern day athlete right. or something. And they had, you know, measurements and they're just like swole women <laughs> surfs. 
today on a very special episode of The Real Peasants of Toil Town. The world is changing rapidly. Everything's different. Ideas coming out of here. Nobody, it's up is down, left is right. What's going on? It's a whirlwind. Back to the toil town. Back to those peasants. Back to the peasants. Hey, what's up, fellow peasants? How's it going? You weren't in the fields today. What's up? Yeah, I was actually at this really exciting presentation. It was one of those moments where you're just so inspired and so ready to jump into it because it's innovation and it's disruptive. And you know what? I'll say it. Feudalism is over. That sounds great. Feudalism over? Yeah. So does that mean we're going to get our freedom and be on par with the lords now like all of these oppressive hierarchies done no no yeah no no i don't know what you guys are talking about oppressive hierarchies or whatever but no it's totally okay so there's this nearby lord right oh this like, was a presentation by a lord yeah so the lord mm. had a big stage they had some pyrotechnics sounds like an excessive display of wealth i know right it was incredible so anyways the big innovation here and this is why feudalism is over it's been out organized it's been innovated against is so you know how it used to be that we'd go toil on the fields for the lord as a tribute we don't have to do that anymore is that oh yeah no more toil if this system picks up we're actually going to be paying a monthly rent and we live on our land with our historic ties and that just continues on as it was what if i told you that there's a new system right around the corner it's a little different But under this system, you have no ties to any land. So what happens if I get kicked off the land? Do I get to pick a different lord who's, you know, maybe nicer and against this whole domination? Yeah, yeah, sure. Do those exist? Give it a shot. Anything's possible. It's a beautiful horizon out there. Once you're kicked off your land for failing to pay rent, who knows where you live next? Right. Let's just get rid of this guy and just ignore the things he said and hope it doesn't happen to us. We need hegemonic liberalism. I don't even know what that is. It's this new thing. It sounds bad, though. Yeah. I'm not having anything to do with it. I think uh, liberals get the pitchfork, too. Absolutely. All right. So, well, yeah, we got these pitchforks here. I'm sort of reading the tone of the room right now. And the vibe I'm getting, and interrupt me if I'm wrong, is that... There's still a little bit of convincing. To Maybe do it would be better if you just left and became a vagabond. We wouldn't have to use these pitchforks. Well, have to. I mean. You know what? I'm just going to go become a vagabond in the city. All right. Let us know how it is. Spread these ideas. Ha! All right. Well, let's go tell his wife that her husband died because I don't want her to know the shame of what he's become. Right. I, I think she'll probably be relieved. It's not like he was doing anything anyways to help with the toil or raise the five children that they have. Yeah, no, she's got a lot on her plate right now. One less thing on her plate now, really. (laughs) Good point, good point. Yeah, that's how we frame it, for sure. Right. Yeah. But those two stupid peasants were wrong, and that other peasant was named Albert Capitalism, the genius who started capitalism. After he left the estate that day, he started as a vagabond, but that's not where he stayed. When the city opened its first factory, he was in line day one for a job. Through hard work and perseverance, he worked his way up the factory hierarchy and became the factory owner. All the lords in town were so impressed that they listened to his ideas, and that's how capitalism began. The end. Okay, so this is developing in England, but then Mm -hmm. 
capitalism spreads around the world. So this process of primary accumulation has to has to spread. Mm-hmm. Like I'm seeing this is very much in line with what we were talking about earlier, the totalizing process of the market system becoming the only public sphere is framed through these market interactions. So mm-hmm. like violent acts of seizure from those who've lived on the land for generations and their labor becomes a commodity to be traded on this one market mm-hmm. and that's the it market system it worming its way into every aspect of all things. Right. Yeah, we see that process, you know, first occur in England with the original development of capitalism and then get repeated throughout the globe through colonialism. Oh, so it wasn't just other people saw it and thought, hey, that's great. Mm -hmm. Let's do that too. England, there was a colonialist aspect. Yeah. A lot of people think that like there's these natural progressive steps that happen throughout history. Like every single society is going to start off this way, develop you know, the tributary mode, right. and that's going to naturally lead into capitalism, which will then- Teleological. Right. And I think that's pretty flawed. I mean, a lot of places around the world did, you know, develop similar tributary modes of production as an outgrowth of this consolidation of power. Really, there is, you know, an argument of people that study this time period on whether or not- Capitalism was a force that primarily originated in England and then exported itself versus it was kind of developing independently all all over the place. Right. But we see oftentimes with colonialism, the first step isn't necessarily to bring the colonial subjects fully into capitalism in the same way. They're not proletarianized necessarily. They're not necessarily wage laborers we see the capitalist nation skimming off the top of existing tributary systems. Right. So just Um, becoming another layer on top of. Right. Right. And then, you know, taking that wealth that is accumulated, bringing it back to England in order to subsidize the developing capitalist mode of production. Right. Um, And that's where a lot of that, you know, this is why it's a process of primitive accumulation because primitive accumulation was, you know, the necessary step in order for capitalism to develop in the first place. At this point, capitalism has already developed, but it wouldn't be able to grow and expand without these additional inputs from colonization. Okay, so you'd have this colonialism where they're skimming off the top, and that sets the stage, I guess, in a way for the capitalist modes of organizing to filter back downwards again. Like, it's not an initial, like, you have to switch right now imposition, Mm -hmm. but... The logic of it means that once those incentive systems are in place, it's going to start developing in that direction. Right, exactly. Like these different economies can be brought within the capitalist world market without necessarily becoming capitalist internally. Right. So the capitalist world market can be made up of capitalist economies and tributary economies and all these different kind of piecework together as long as they're part of this global market. But it, it transforms the existing economies because of that need of for demand. Like demand is not something that inherently exists. Like peasants that already have access to subsistence aren't going out there and demanding things on the market that has to be manufactured. Yeah, you got to pay people wages if you want them to buy their stuff. Mm-hmm. Basic you, boss yeah, logic. Right. <laughs> and then you have to make them dependent. A lot of the really early commodities that became global when this initial era of capitalist colonialism in like the Caribbean and in like North America, you see sugar and tobacco being 
primary right. commodities. Like neither of those things were things that were common in England before that. They weren't things that the peasants were relied on or that they would just naturally want or need. Right. They had to be introduced in a level of like addiction or dependency right. in order for them to want those things. With sugar, it was particularly because they were so malnourished. They had they were had so little access to like actually nutritious foods that they needed that like stimulant right, right. of sugar to just like get them along throughout the day to yeah. produce things <laughs> just calories yeah 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 it's interesting because like when we talk about like modern day capitalism or neoliberalism people are still talking about this ongoing process of everything becoming marketized, like mm -hmm. universities having less resources to direct towards things that might not be so beneficial for the market, like the arts and it being more beneficial for them in this market system to direct more resources to engineering and mm -hmm. other things like that, that have a very set understandable function within a marketplace. Mm -hmm. So, it's interesting for me to think of this process of totalizing as one that just continually right. enters into more and more spheres of life. Totally. I think the, I dislike the framing of primitive accumulation or primary accumulation because it does seem to relegate that process to it happened once, right. we established capitalism, it's over. David Harvey has this similar but different concept that he calls accumulation by dispossession. So it's any sort of accumulation that happens at the expense of someone being dispossessed from something that they used to have access to. Right. And so, you know, the peasants being dispossessed from the land. Then we see when privatization in the era of neoliberalism occurs, you see people being dispossessed from these state-provided resources, like the welfare state being eroded. With colonization, we see people being dispossessed from their traditional ways of life or other forms of relations that aren't capitalist in nature. And we see that like continuing to happen throughout the 20th century with new forms of economic imperialism, with the creation of like the World Bank and the IMF that you know have these noble goals of of helping the world develop, but the way that they do that is giving out loans to historically underdeveloped nations and then trapping them in this debt cycle and right. then forcing them into the capitalist world system. So yeah, then that's capitalism, and we're there. And that's nothing, here we are. Nothing's really changed since then, clearly. Well, it's, just, it's been ongoing, this like more, more and more marketing, everything. Right. And yeah, I wouldn't say it's just like a linear kind of getting more of. Yeah. Like I, I think people, like especially leftists, do kind of frame capitalism in the sense of like, it's just kind of getting more capitalist and at some point it's going to run out of capitalism to do. And that'll be the, <laughs> the final contradiction that makes it all fall apart on its own. Right, right, right. And right. I, I think the problem with that view is that it's, it's very adaptable, you know, capitalism formed in this one way and it adapts to changing conditions. You know, and initially in the beginning, relying very heavily on overt force or threat of force to make people work. We see that a lot less. Like you still see, you know, workers trying to unionize being beaten by the police a little less frequently, but it, mm. it still happens. But, you know, the, these pri the primary forms of coercion, they change with the times, like whatever is more effective, you know. There is a degree of, you know, that American dream, that like class mobility people have of like you you can work your way up like right. that, you know, that does exist in some cases. And it's like that's not capitalism being nice necessarily. A lot of times that's just reinforcing this class system. Of, if people believe there is a way out for them, they're a lot more likely to be compliant in their current situation rather than trying to overthrow the whole system. 
Yeah. Cause over- not, I mean, it's not like anyone like sitting and planning that, but it's just like the way right. it functions is not everybody can do that. <laughs> not right. everybody, like very few, it's a very small mm-hmm. percentage, but everyone pays attention to the people who can do it. Mm-hmm. So it ends up functioning in that way that you're describing. Yeah. And the, yeah, and there it's it wasn't like some big elaborate plan by you know the entire yeah. capitalist, but you know to an extent there were concessions made to organizing workers over time that are you know objective goods. Like it's yeah. good that we have you know a weekend and paid overtime, absolutely, and all of that stuff. And a lot of those concessions were made because workers had real power, and that the capitalists were afraid that if they were allowed to continue building that power without getting. Uh, concessions to their demands that they would overturn the whole system. But as, you know, that's an example of the adaptability of capitalism. They're able to give in to their demands without the disillusionment of capitalism while maintaining the, like, fundamental labor relation yeah, that makes up give in to those demands, but then, like, you can turn all those things into markets. Like, giving people weekends, well, that's a great time to spend money doing various other things. Right. Today's episode is brought to you by Two Lords Toiling. Oh, man, it's hot out here. Toiling. <laughs> I do say. <laughs> Why are we toiling? We're lords. That yeah, is... I don't know. We just kind of, we're out here. Uh, man. Where are all the peasants? How did we get in this? This is unnatural. This is... <clears throat> <laughs> it's tough. I don't know how the peasants deal with this day in and day out. <laughs> they must not. I don't think it's like this for them. Right. They're built for this. They're built for, yes, that's this tedium, this pain. They don't really experience it. They're, we're they're, built to rule. They're built to toil. Absolutely. In the same way, okay, we're unfit to do this. That's clear. Right. And they're also unfit to dictate orders, ride horses and hunt quail. Oh, I wish I could be on a good quail hunt right now. How did we even get out here? I don't even remember walking onto the fields. I don't know, but I do know that if you gave the average toiling peasant a quail gun, they're going to shoot their swole wife before they ever hit a quail. <laughs> I know that for certain. Oh, uh, yes, they would. They, they don't have the proper brain for aiming or for experiencing tedium as you mentioned i'm not even sure the word tedium could come out of their vulgar mouths i mean you could probably teach them to mouth it but i don't they wouldn't yeah they might be able to repeat the symbols but they would never understand the meaning yeah i'm not sure they experience any meaning i think they're just symbol repeating machines that are built to toil that makes sense that they don't have any subjectivity They've evolved to seem like they do, to try and trick us into treating them better when really they should be toiling. So yeah, I guess in summary, like the experience of toiling here is reinforce my pre-existing views towards the peasants. Yeah, definitely. They should do this and we shouldn't. And this sucks. And so the opportunity for empathy was missed. The end of the commercial. Proud sponsor. Let's talk about getting out of this mess. Do we need our a new primary accumulation or like a version of that? Like, what's the force mm. if we're Marxists here? And he says all these Marxist. changes well, happen to force. Yeah, me neither. I don't think. I don't even. I don't know. Sometimes Maybe it seems like I am, but then I don't think I am. But if these transitions always happen through force, as he said, like what's what are the forces we need? Like, how do we mm. detotalize? I get like that would be the way out. Maybe detotalizing the market, right? Or, Increasing the amount of in-kind transactions going on in society. <laughs> Returning to the true authentic 
feudalism. <laughs> well, no, well, yeah, it's weird because, yeah, like, like uh, saying in kind transact, like you want that, but you don't want feudalism, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I think we need to address the accumulation through dispossession somehow. I mean, we need to repossess. Is that the opposite of dispossess? Yeah, yeah. repossess, re- return things to their owners. Is that? Well, but that's no. still that's we're not we're not talking about going back. We're talking about creating new forms of economic relationships that are more egalitarian Mm -hmm. and don't coerce people into selling chunks of their day and or to other people who are going to treat them like shit (laughs) so like we want to unenclose the commons we want to bring back the commons that's a good we want to deconstruct patriarchy Mm -hmm. decommodify labor decommodify labor is a big part of that but you have a way to do all these things right a step-by-step process (laughs) for us all to follow oh yeah well i don't have a perfect process but i have a few ideas cool that's better for broad processes that i think would be necessary looking at the forces that brought capitalism to be i don't think we don't need to just like replicate those for something else right you know or do like reverse it back to the other thing this is the next step the next step and we don't we don't want to transition the same way capitalism did like ideally it's not violent and destructive and yeah causing unnecessary harm and domination. I'd say we should avoid those things. So, yeah, we're talking about an ideal transition to post-capitalism, not a likely one. Well, (laughs) I'm saying a transition should include these elements, and these elements can be violent or not. So here we go. The first one is that change in dominant ideology, right? We need a a counter-hegemony to to counter... Mm. The existing ideological order. We need to put out there, these are our ideas, this is how they could actually work, and challenge the notion that the capitalist ideology is like innate or true, or that humans have always done these things. Or... Yeah, that the structure of reality is capitalist, right. and that's the, <laughs> the water that we've always swam in. So you're saying there needs to be a real shift in ideas. Mm-hmm. So breaking down the ideas that currently exist, showing that they're not innate and, nat- and natural, Absolutely. always true, and then presenting alternative ideas. The second one is we need infrastructure for a post-capitalist world. You know, the, any sort of these large-scale economic transitions with the rise of feudalism, we saw state infrastructure in the form of standing militaries, in the form of transportation infrastructure, highways and roads, and irrigation systems for farming, those sorts of infrastructure. With capitalism, we see industrialization, the factory system. And as capitalism evolves, these new capitalist infrastructures. And one, like, you know, with the Soviet Union and that attempt to overthrow capitalism, we see them by and large trying to employ the same factory system for a different outcome. And ultimately that leading to a lot of problems. You can't just say like, okay, we're going to have the same exact factory system, which was developed in these hierarchical conditions um, for these specific purposes and just say, you know, now they're going to serve a different function. Like we need to develop new infrastructure to support to like reimagine, not just reimagine, but actually put into practice the way that cities are built, the way that things are produced so that they are ecologically sustainable, so that they're not geared towards reinforcing exploitation and domination. And with the rise of capitalism, talked about earlier, we saw the consolidation of a new form of class power, specifically when I talked about England and these like different class forces, the manufacturers the landowners and the merchant class kind of coming together and 
the consolidation of class power against the existing ruling order. And so traditionally in the left, we, we see that as workers' power to oppose capitalist domination. The workforce, I think we also need to be talking about as workers become more precarious in our current the way that capitalism currently exists with the workers by and large being very precarious, with a lot of people being excluded from the workforce, and with our level of technology being able to sustain a much lower participation in productive labor. People just need to work less because our technology is better. We don't right. need everyone working 40 hours a day in order to sustain like a comfortable life for everyone. Right. People need to work 40 hours a day because they need to make money to buy things under capitalism. Right. <laughs> Weak. Yeah, right. 40 hours a day. <laughs> you both said it. So I think we need to see a, a growing class power, not just in the workforce, but outside of it as well. You know, people as consumers consolidating power, people as community members in the political sphere, all, all of these different roles we play in society that would serve to gain from not existing in this capitalist structure. From, from reorganizing mm-hmm. these power relations in a way that is more beneficial to them. And I think the way that we have to consolidate that class power is through creating new modes of participating in politics and economics. So right now, there's a very limited way in which the average person, the average you know worker or whoever can influence the economy or the political structures around them. And so creating new forms and new institutions that seek to become the new ruling order. It's sort of parallel systems that scale right. and can take uh, precedence over the currently existing forms. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I wonder if there's stuff that's going on right now that is sort of we can't see at the full shape that it's going to take. It's, there's a transition from like one mm. mode of relations to another where like I've heard people talk about it in terms of stuff like zero marginal cost where you can make unlimited copies of things without having the production cost repeating Yeah, um, and how that can like be potentially the start of a post-capitalist society. Yeah, there's definitely productive forces coming about that kind of undermine base assumptions of capitalist economics like that. Yeah, and I I think, as I said, with capitalism being adaptable, I don't think we can just hedge our bets on these new technologies rendering capitalism no longer possible. But I think it presents a really good opportunity. If we can seize on this moment and start to build something else and put something else into existence, we can't just expect that to happen on mm. its own. No, yeah, we yeah. need to be it, it makes these non-market spaces possible. Like mm-hmm. we can we can fight the totalizing system of market relations by taking these potential spaces and opening them up and building new infrastructure in there. But yeah, if you don't do that, there's no guarantee that just mm-hmm. these new technologies will make that happen on its own or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I hate to be like such a pessimist, but the when it. you look at like the sort of the pre-capitalist mode and the capitalist mode, when you're describing in terms of power dynamics, like the power dynamics remained pretty consistent. They like mm-hmm. expanded in different ways, but there was still this really harsh power distance and like. Well, the the power dynamics between like landowners and kings changed quite a bit and now like kings are fell way out of style like it, there were the, like you when you talked about this glorious revolution there was like this this element of 
those power relationships being challenged, but only in the upper echelons, like the peasants still on the bottom, like the way they were on the bottom changed and got worse in certain ways. Worse in certain ways and better in other ways. Right. And it also goes back to the offhand and frankly shitty comment I made about the likely versus desired transition to post-capitalism. Because mm. like, what if we're like, oh, we're, we're against totalizing markets and there's some sort of transition away from totalizing markets that is still does not fundamentally change like the massive power difference between the right. people at the top and the peasantry or whatever right, right, right. sort of metaphor that you want to use. What I was reminded of, of this by was like the idea that the technology itself isn't going to save us, mm-hmm. but the technology itself might be what transitions us from capitalism to post-capitalism. We have a new structural dystopic order that is post-capitalist very meaningfully feudalism yeah (laughs) right yeah maybe it has not very much in common with either feudalism or or capitalism but really maintains consistent the idea of like not having sufficient access to like the means of uh, sustenance um maybe takes the worst of both worlds um, and then adds a dystopian totalizing surveillance kick maybe that's post-capitalism right i mean it's definitely possible post capitalism without adjectives is not necessarily better. That's why I think it's so important for the left to be trying to, you know, create these alternatives. Capitalism isn't just going to fall and like leave this wide open space for something better to happen. Like if capitalism were to just fall today, it would leave an immense power vacuum and the people with the, you know, most access to violence and whatnot would probably win out. So it should be our goal to not get to that point right. where there's just massive power vacuums for the like for the most cruel people to like seize upon that opportunity. Yeah, well like we're just all kind of disagreeing here with this teleological view that there's these necessary stages of history and it's just gonna happen and right. not that we shouldn't play a part in that, but post capitalism is gonna be great. It's communism. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Ideally. happens. Yeah. Like, that's just what it is, you know? It's That's the next step, mm. the next stage. Right? Yeah, maybe we all agree on this. It's sort of like the form of post-capitalism is going to emerge one way or another, but, like, mm-hmm. the content is important <laughs> in getting making sure that, like, the ideological frameworks that are in place, the ideology in weight of a crisis is able to jump in at the moment that post-capitalism is potential. Like, right. when there's the rupture point between sort of like this stable existing point and all these little things like pushing on the limits of capitalism where you have this moment where there's a need for new content, not just Mm -hmm. because the the form could be or an opportunity torn asunder. Well, something I do want to emphasize with like having studied this, you know, transition into capitalism a lot. One of the things I really take away from that, that I think a lot of the left doesn't really talk about a lot is how just how long that transition was, Mm. you know, is this, you know, multi-century long project of creating these new forms of economic relationships, developing them over time. Yeah, someone just had an idea and was like, oh, totalizing markets and Mm -hmm. wage labor. Let's implement that. (laughs) And bringing in, you know, everything under this sphere of capitalism and building it up as this dominant system. Like that took a really long time. And I think we have to be prepared for you know, our ideal utopia to take a lot of time to build as well. There can be significant moments of rupture in a positive direction, right? right. That, you know, leads us to new utopes, um, yeah. leads us to, to new places where we have significant improvements in a short period of time. But in order to like fully form a completely different system that is absolutely distinct from capitalism and free of that 
specific type of hierarchical domination and ideally free of all forms of hierarchy, it's going to take a really long time. And we have to be you know, prepared for the long haul of not seeing all the fruits of this in our lifetime or our next yeah, generation. Like just lifetime, imagining you can take everything over and then just implement it right now and you're there. And right. It's, yeah, right. It's There's not going to be like one violent revolution that's going right. to put our ideal world into existence. Yeah, I mean like a process of becoming a new type of social system you got to feel your way into it right (laughs) Right? like it's you can't just like (laughs) boom i had an idea it's communism and now we're all doing it it's yeah it's like the pool is cold you got to dip your toe in get everyone used to it wade your way out just yeah and like figure out like how it works and what is working and isn't working and correct on the fly and like it's Mm. like none of this stuff is all figured out Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining capitalist development to us. Thank you for having me on the show. I had a great time. Love capitalism, or talking about it at least. Love talking about how much you don't love it. (laughs) Take that, capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Now be careful. Capitalism is very adaptable. (laughs) You can even say, I don't like capitalism, and then it will. Yeah, you could sell that on the capitalist market. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Absolutely. And with that in mind, uh, if you really like the show, we do have a Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Patreon.com slash Seriously Wrong. The Seriously Wrong podcast is subsumed by the capitalist market. Absolutely we are. Mm -hmm. We're proud of it. Oh, yeah. Boy, howdy. If we weren't, that would undermine our whole argument about how it's totalizing. So it's the only way we can keep doing the show. Yeah. Yikes. Capitalism. Yikes. (laughs) Well, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Franz is great. Franz is an expert. Always an honor to have Franz on the show. The Franz and me bows to the Franz and Franz. And (laughs) bows to the Franz and all of you in the audience. But also, this show can't happen without the help from our sponsors. And this week, our sponsor is a very special group. It's called the Alfred Capitalism Memorial Foundation. Now, the Alfred Capitalism Memorial Foundation, we're in contact with, what is it? His great, 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 yes. great niece? Double check with her. Edith Capitalism. Edith Capitalism. She's so Wonderful sweet. Wonderful woman. Yeah. And she really makes the show happen. She made this show happen. And as our way of saying thank you to her and to her legacy and to the big man himself, Alfie, Alfred Capitalism. We're gonna play this thrilling instructional tape called Rising, 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 the story of the vagabond who wouldn't fall. And just for clarity, this is a tape with a visual element. So we're gonna be putting in a tape player, but also a tape display unit. Yeah, um, with the screen. There's a visual element here, yeah, with the screen. And some people like to know that it helps the mood, so. But other people prefer not to know that. They were infuriated by it. But hopefully you're in the former category where you're like, oh, what an imaginative sort of new brainscape I'm in. Because I can imagine the screen element. It's not, <laughs> it's not merely a radio play. This has got a screen element. And I'll just put this in here. And uh, I'll press play. Falling, falling, falling. That's the vagabond's way. Never rising, only falling. Falling, 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 all vagabonds do, that's vagabonds. 
I don't care, Dad. I'm going to the city. I'm going to become a vagabond. When I'm done, that rhyme is going to be forgotten by history. Oh, I'm just so mad I'd stomp on my hat. Ugh. Ugh. Stomp. Dad, that's your only hat. hat. Oh, you've driven me to this, boy. Becoming a vagabond. I'm still going to the city and becoming a vagabond, Dad. No matter how hard you stomp. Remember what you did to my hat. Sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face. You've damaged the hat. That's my point. Just go. Well, let me pack my things. Jeez, Dad. I said I'm going to the city to become a vagabond. I didn't say I'm leaving in the next ten seconds. I still need to pack my bags. Can you cook me some eggs while I pack? Well, I'm hungry. Well, you're going to have to get used to begging for food if you're going to be a vagabond. Please, please make me eggs. Keep begging. I only get more numb to your cries. Dad, I'm your son, Alfred. Look at me. Don't you understand? You're not my son anymore. You're a vagabond. I'm so still your son. son. I haven't left. I haven't become a vagabond yet. I'm saying I'm going you're a to become. To me. Listen to what I say to you, Dad. I said I'm going to the city to become a vagabond. I didn't say I'm a vagabond. I'm moving to the city. You got it, the order all wrong, Dad. You still owe me eggs. Move to the city he did, where he got a job at the first factory and impressed all the other workers with how hard he worked. Well, well, you're working so hard, it's like you've been here as long as me. You're so hard working and good at this. I got this crazy idea, man. Ah, it's stupid. You know what, I'll say it. Hmm. Sorry, one second, I need to finish this hard work I'm doing. And then I need to continue to work the whole time I'm talking. Being less hardworking than you, I'm going to take a break while you tell me this crazy idea you have. Yeah, no, sit down, because it's a whopper. I'm going to keep working hard the whole time, though. Okay, I'm just going to lift this really quick. And then I'm going to keep working. I'm getting sweat in my eyes from all this hard work. Sure. It stings, but it's a good sting. It's a hard work sting of sweat. So my idea is this. Maybe someday, the harder you work, eventually, one day you'll own the factory. Yeah, man, maybe, maybe you could. Alfred, will you come into my office? Sure, Mr. Factory Owner, sir. You've been here for seven years, and you've been so hardworking. Thank you, sir. I found out I'm dying. Oh, no, you're dying? What's good news for you? No, that couldn't be. I'm giving you the factory, because you worked hard. What? And you're absolutely right. That's how the system should work. And I want you to have the resources to spread this this idea. But you don't want to give it to your son? That's not how the system should work. Instead of giving things to your kids, you should give it to someone you know who's really cool. And so Alfred Capitalism got the factory. He changed the factory into a book factory. And he printed books about his ideas, which he called capitalism after his last name mr capitalism mr capitalism the amazon basin is being massively destroyed by your system is that because of you sir no no that just they don't have the right kind they don't have enough capitalism yet it's corporatism that's not real capitalism read my book it's all in the book Hundreds of people don't like capitalism, sir. What do you say to them? Not liking capitalism is not liking hard work. It's a system of hard work where hard work gets rewarded. If hard work isn't rewarded, it's not capitalism. 
Mr. Capitalism, what about all the people who work really hard and aren't rewarded? I already told you. Ah, Corporatism. He threw a glass at my head. It broke on the wall behind me. Well, next time, remember that we don't live in real capitalism. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. Now, does anybody have any fawning questions? I like to be fawned over. Uh, yes, Mr. Capitalism, sir. How does it feel to give more to charity than anyone else? Well, given that... Even after I give more than everyone else, I still have ten times as much money as everyone else. It feels pretty good. I get to flex on everyone, but feel no actual negative consequences myself. Mr. Capitalism, the system you've created has put billions of people into perpetual debt bondage, been instrumental in the suppression of people along race and gender lines, sex trafficking, uh, environmental devastation. All that stuff comes from governments. Taxation is theft. Read Economics 101. Mr. Capitalism, is there any lessons that the viewers who are looking at this screen can take home? Yes, let me look straight into the camera so that when you're looking at the screen, you can look straight into my eyes as I say this. I can imagine Mr. Capitalism so vividly on the screen. When I was a little boy, they always told me, falling, falling, falling. That's the vagabond way. Never rising, always falling. Falling, falling, falling. That's what vagabonds do. That's vagabonds. But I knew that vagabonds could be more than that. And that the world could be a different, better, amazing place. And if you all work very, very hard, very, very, very hard, no matter how many eggs your father does or doesn't give you, you too can own a factory. Everyone can own a factory. The entire, every person on this planet could own a factory if they worked hard enough. That's the beauty of this system. So take that into your heart and go out into the world and grab it and take it for yourself. Thank you. Let's pop out that tape. Wow, yeah, what an inspiring ending. Yeah, really wonderful stuff. I especially love the mathematical argument very central to what he was saying in that we if we all work hard we can all be masters and holders of wealth the pie can always grow exactly yeah we can all find people to languish under us it just makes sense and uh so that's probably the end of the episode maybe i'll just pop in this audio only tape of our theme song for the outro if there's nothing else for you from you um let me think I think I did have something to say. I'm really, this isn't a bit, I'm really forgetting something. Need some brain juice? The, the, the. What does it have to do with capitalism, factories, working hard? Um, no, I, I feel like I had something. Um, yeah, just roll this on. I'll let it play. God damn it, I'm wrong. Once again, I found myself wrong. Oh, I'm wrong. Once again, I'm wrong. And I'm wrong again. Oh, I'm wrong. Next time on Seriously Wrong... 
Does listening to Seriously Wrong increase your sperm count? What about your egg count? All sperms point to yes, it does do those things. We've multiple studies, and it's a little bit early to say, but... Yeah, I don't know about studies. I don't know if I trust that science. But let me just say that since I started listening to Seriously Wrong, my sperms have been so lively. They just, it seems more alive, you know? seems full of life it's really one of those rare instances where science lines up with intuition which lines up with common sense listening to seriously wrong increases your egg count and your sperm count yeah if it does it for sperm it must do it for eggs it's the female sperm gamete meat gamete (laughs) that's how uh babies are made gametes meet gametes when two gametes meet that's the spicy gamete ball (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly